episode 22 of the Water Break podcast. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the OSHA topic of slips, trips, and falls. Our guest today is Joseph Lanute, who is the president of Universal Safety Compliance, LLC, and is a lead instructor at the OSHA Training Institute Education Center at Arizona State University. Universal Safety Compliance, LLC, is a full-service safety consulting training and risk management company providing all aspects of safety and loss control services to companies throughout Arizona and the Southwest. I'm excited to have you back with us again. And with 34 years experience, I know you've got a lot to share. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks, Arthur. Thanks for having me back. And I am excited to be here again as well. I'm going to give the OSHA spill again, just a reminder of what it is. Uh, This is Congress created the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, as part of the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970 to ensure safe and healthful working conditions for workers by setting and enforcing standards and by providing training, outreach, education, and assistance. All right. So we're going to cover slips, trips, and falls today, Joe. And how do you define those? What are the difference between them? Talking about slips, trips, and falls, the funny thing or the fact of the matter is, if we think about it, every single industry and workplace has that exposure. So let's look at all three of them. Slips. Slips usually tend to happen where there's too little friction between your feet and the ground. Have you, have you ever slipped before, Heather? Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I just did in Wisconsin, and I was really embarrassed. <laughs> People yeah, yeah. saw it. <laughs> and, and, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I'll bet. And I've done it, too. I've done what they call nowadays the face plant. And my, yes. you know, my ego was more bruised than my buttocks. But we've all yeah. slipped. And, and think about the hazards that present slips in the environment. Then we have trips, kind of the the second type. Trips usually happen when something halts your emotion. And, you know, we think about trips in offices, maybe with a crumpled up carpet, a tear in the carpet, Mm -hmm. you're changing elevation. Then we get into the big boys, the falls. Uh, Falls usually happen when your body is under an unstable position. And we'll probably elaborate on all these a little bit further along in, in class today. From our conversation that we had earlier, I looked up the first official instance of fall protection, and I came up with the year 1877, but you had an example that went even further back. I did. And first of all, I give you credit for coming up with 1877. When I teach fall protection at the OSHA Training Institute Education Center or anywhere, Mm -hmm. I like to ask the students how far back they think fall protection dates. And what's interesting is interesting, you know, you talked about the origin of OSHA and OSHA started in 1970. So it was a people say in 1970. And then we get a few people thinking outside the box and they say, hey, 1930s during the construction of the Empire State Building. And that's not it. And then we've, you know, we get some thinkers that think 1931, the Hoover Dam. And there you are, 1877. And that's not it. And then we occasionally get somebody that says, hey, what about when they were building the Great Pyramids? That was 2560 BC. And guess what? That's not it either. Fall protection dates back to 1407 BC. And it's quite interesting in the Bible. Okay. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8, it reads When you build a new house, make a parapet on your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls off the roof. 
And we take it one step further because that's the NIV translation. Uh-huh. If we look at the same Deuteronomy 22 verse 8 in the New Living Translation, I like this one because they actually refer to a word called railing that we're going to talk about. So this one says, when you build a new house, you must build a railing around the edge of its flat roof. And that's how far back we can trace I guess if you want to call it the origin of fall protection. I love the idea that people were concerned about liability even back then. You know? <laughs> when you look at it that way, that's kind of what it was. You know, Deuteronomy was the laws. And yeah. that's what it says. They didn't want to bring the, the liability if somebody fell off the rooftop. So that's I always start class off with that to get people's attention. Falling has never been a good thing. <laughs> Especially in construction, so. Right, for sure. Okay, well, why don't we cover some of the statistics? Because you had some great statistics for us. Slips, trips, and falls as a whole combined account for Mm -hmm. more than 20% of all of our non-fatal occupational injuries that involve days away from work. Do you think about that, right? Mm -hmm. Then approximately 10% of fatal occupational injuries for all industries were attributed to a fall from a height. And again, we can list dozens of different things that you know cause, can cause us to fall from elevations uh-huh. or heights. Slip, trips, and falls are also one of the leading causes of accidents in the workplace that account for at least 20% of all workers' compensation claims. Our insurance companies don't like that one when we think about the span of the exposures to slips, trips, and falls in the workplace. Once again, liability. Absolutely. workers' compensation there. When you do a root cause analysis, what are these stats typically attributed to? Spending 34 years in all industries, and I've done many accident investigations, fatality investigations. Of course, when I try to determine root cause and we're looking at slips, trips, and falls, some of the stats that I've accumulated over the years, number Mm -hmm. one, a lack of safety awareness. And what does that mean? That means the employer did not provide the employees with the training they need to be aware of those workplace hazards. Number two, unsafe conditions. Oh, come on. People don't do that, right? Right. If, if, in the class, I always ask, <laughs> raise their hand if you ever created an unsafe condition related to the topic we're teaching. And this is slips, trips, and falls. And most of us can raise our hand and, and say, we've done something that created an unsafe condition because we thought happened to me or it's only going to be there for a second, right? Or it's obvious that that's there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are the, those are the big ones, right? And, yeah. and another big attributing factor, we're humans. So unsafe behaviors, which again goes back to lack of training, lack of understanding uh, or habits, you know, forming bad habits. So mm-hmm. those are the big three factors when you know we look at a root cause analysis, lack of safety awareness, unsafe conditions and unsafe behaviors. I had a rep. I had a safety engineer and he had this big sign in his office and it said safety first. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then I read the rest of it. It's like, please don't take chances with your safety. We hate telling your family that you were acting like an idiot. (laughs) That's hilarious. We've all seen signs that have heard everybody preach safety first, but taking it to that step, when you see that on the sign, think about it. We hate telling your family that you were (laughs) acting like an idiot. The reality Number one, I would rather tell somebody, hey, you just got hurt because you were acting like an idiot rather than having to make that phone call that you're not coming. Right. 
Yeah. Or that you're in the hospital or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how do we reduce those behaviors or reduce the issues? Slipstreps and falls can be reduced by, but if we think about the basics, number one, training employees to stay alert, be, be aware of your surroundings. I mean, that means staying alert nowadays means paying attention. Don't, how many times have there have you seen an individual walking while they're texting on their cell phone? Uh, a lot. And I know even in Asia, they started putting in some uh, sidewalks, lights that was red and green because people were looking down instead of up to cross the street. Uh, my son made that comment. He's like, mom, how bad is that? I'm all, Don't, you can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So think about it. Stay alert and be aware yeah. of your surroundings. Uh, uh, you, people don't think like this, but get plenty of rest. When we don't get enough rest, we have fatigue in the workplace. And of course, anytime you have fatigue, that can attribute to many different injuries and illnesses. Uh, manage stress. Some of us react differently with stress and sometimes high stress can be a, a trigger to slips, trips and falls. Avoid alcohol, use and drugs. I mean, obviously yeah. anytime you know, we're impaired, we're just that much more likely Odds are against us that, you know, we can slip, trip and fall and take appropriate breaks, common sense things. Taking a break allows you to slow down, reset. Uh, some of us, when we get working, we're on autopilot and we're moving a mile a minute. So taking a break is important as well. I'm one of those who's not so great about the breaks. So <laughs> that's a reminder to me as well. And we have so much to cover Let's start with slips and trips specifically first, though. Slips and trips, and again, we talked about they exist in pretty much every work environment. So when we talk about uh, slips and trips, let's talk about things like if you must work on a wet surface, think of the work environments where we have wet processes in place. So if that involves an employee having to work on wet surfaces, your actions change a little bit. When you when you walk it and moving, the recommended practices make wide turns at corners. We've all done it. Think about if you're mopping the floor and you're turning, uh -huh. you, you know, you take these wider brace steps because, you know, it's slippery. Or if you're walking on ice, you mentioned Wisconsin, I'm from Chicago. So we know what it's yeah. like on ice and your posture changes because your steps change. So make wide turns at corners, walk slowly and take short steps. Keep your feet pointed slightly outward. And of course, keep your hands free for balance because you know, we are on a wet surface, potentially slippery. So if your hands are free in the event that you do fall, you may be able to catch yourself on something to prevent the fall from happening. And then the easiest thing of all, wear appropriate slip resistant shoes. How about that? The simplest thing of all, proper work wear. Yeah, the standard work boot, not leather shoes the loafers or something like that? Absolutely. And we don't get into a lot of the actual OSHA standards, but OSHA, when we talk about OSHA compliance and safety footwear, uh, most footwear has to comply with the consensus standard, which is the ANSI Z41. And when you look at those requirements, and again, this covers every environment, ANSI Z41 footwear would include things like slip resistant soles, puncture resistant soles, uh, uh -huh. you composite toes, steel toes, safety shoes that do not allow it static for an explosive environment. So again, we talk about wearing proper shoes. There are shoes for everything, including wet surfaces as well to prevent slips. It's worth investing in a good shoe, I think. It uh -huh. is. Well, think about it, Heather. Uh, I know 
Uh, many women love their shoes, right? <laughs> and I, yeah, I see that chuckle there. I'm not gonna. Yeah, lie. I'm like, I'm all about the loafer, though. I'm not about the the heel and <laughs> things. But yes, my my daughter is, and a lot of other women. <laughs> yes, and regardless, uh, I like my shoes too. But I think we can all say, sometime along uh, in our lives, we may have spent a little more money on a pair of shoes than perhaps is the norm or that we want to. <laughs> And sometimes mm -hmm. that doesn't mean the shoe is more comfortable. And the same thing with work shoes. Think about whatever your environment is and industry you are in. It's important to have the proper shoes, but also the ones that are comfortable. I mean, if yeah. we don't wear comfortable shoes or work boots, we're perhaps not going to wear them versus if we do, we're on our feet many hours in a day. It makes a difference. Agreed. Now, you know, going on to trips, unfortunately, I, I have in the past been able to trip on air, but what other things do you recommend to prevent trips? Oh, that's it. That's funny. That's funny. I think somewhere along the line, we all have tripped over air as well, too. Yeah. Uh, trips versus slips. Trips are caused by taking shortcuts, things like poor lighting, loose footing. So mm -hmm. the recommended actions to uh, reduce the likelihood of tripping in the workplace walking in designated areas. What does that mean? It means that you know, think about maybe warehouses where office personnel do not usually go into warehouses. And sometimes you may see in warehouses, yellow designated lines. Those are delineators, yeah. you know, delineators where, you know, unauthorized personnel can walk in those areas. So they're not exposed to the hazards and the processes that could include slips and trips. Make sure you see where you're going and look ahead. We kind of talked about this with text messaging. But this also applies to if you're carrying boxes and objects, sometimes we tend to block our view so we can't see where we are going, right? Yeah. Same yeah. thing, carry only loads that you can see over and, and don't, doesn't hinder your movement. I think we've all done this, trying to carry so many things to lessen our trips. Yeah, yeah, only one trip. Come on, you can do it all. <laughs> Put more two boxes on there, right? That's right. Uh, we have to remind ourselves to slow down and pay attention. Again, sometimes we're in a hurry. We want to maximize our minutes, so we rush things. No, slow down, pay attention. Some common sense things to eliminate trips. Keep areas well lit and clean. Proper lighting helps avoid potential hazards. I think the good thing here is, in, in my experience, I've seen more... Uh, workplaces add additional lighting for many different reasons. But one of those benefits to that is things are more visible. So it does lessen the likelihood of tripping. And how about this one that would apply to offices? Keep file cabinet drawers, desk drawers closed after each use. Do you ever see that in the office? Yes. And at home, uh, my kids, my kids are finally to the point now where they will start shutting the cabinet doors. <laughs> well, that's good. That took 20 years, though. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I've seen that before, and I've you know shut it when I walked by, and they're like, "I was getting something out." I'm like, "Don't leave it open. Just yeah, don't." Until we, until we walk into that first one ourselves, only then do we sometimes take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. When you lose a shin to a metal right. file drawer, absolutely. Okay, so moving on to falls, you mentioned in your presentation that there were two types of falls. And I didn't even know that they were segregated that way. We kind of separate them. So we talked a little bit about slips. We talked a little bit about trips. Let's address falls. So basically, there are two types of falls. We have what we call same level falls. Mm -hmm. And the other one is falls to a lower level. So let's talk about same level falls for a few seconds here. Same level falls tend to occur with high frequency. They happen okay. often. 
but they tend to result in low severity injuries, which is a good thing. So our same level of falls are kind of what we just talked about. These are usually caused by slips and trips. So we kind of put those in one category under the same level of falls. And then okay. the second category of falls is falls to a lower level. Now, fortunately, the, the, this is the pros and cons, the good and bad. The falls to lower levels tend to occur with lower frequency. However, because we're falling to a lower level, they tend to result in more severe injuries. E, over, yeah. yeah. So look at the statistic I'm going to read here. Over 60%, so more than two-thirds of our elevated falls are from less than 10 feet. And that could be falls from things like platforms, ladders, stairs, scaffolds, roofs, vehicles, loading docks, buildings, other structures, equipment. So we start looking at the exposure to falls to a lower level, and that encompasses so many different things. Well, and as you get older, too, those falls hurt more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great point, Heather. We think about as people get older, and parents and our grandparents and many people that have that fall when they're older, and they're more yeah. likely to break a hip and a shoulder. And, and even us, I mean, it can happen to us if we fall in the wrong position. I'm going to share this personal story. Years ago, I was working on a job site, a bridge being built. And oh, uh-huh. kind of, I guess it would be like Sun Lakes. And I'm out there several weeks in a row doing inspections. And I get a phone call that a welder falls through a hole on the bridge deck. He falls 23 feet to the ground. He lands on his feet. So he shatters his ankles, breaks a few bones. He's injured pretty badly. You know, he's hospitalized and treated, but he lives. Three weeks later on the same project, an operator on a front end loader gets out of his cab to lean around and clean his windshield of the cab. And he slips off of the machine and falls five feet, four and a half feet to the bridge deck. And it was a fatality. It was only a five foot fall, less than five feet. It was the position he was in, what he struck his hat on. So we sometimes take for granted that hey, it's only three feet, four feet. I can't get injured. Well, yes, yeah. we can. And that's where that separation comes from. Same level falls and falls to a lower level. So just better to avoid falls in general. When we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do we prevent them then? How do we prevent falls? Huh? That's the age old question, right? So how's <laughs> Possible solutions, these have been around a long time, right? Employers need to have some type of workplace hazard identification program in place. And like anything, if we identify hazards, we have to do something, take action to correct those hazards. So that involves usually workplace inspections, Uh uh, implementing employers, implementing workplace rules, related employee training. We saw that in some earlier statistics. Uh, employers can uh, put together regularly scheduled workplace inspections that include looking at things like housekeeping, equipment operations, facilities and maintenance. And the bottom line, how can we prevent falls? Following and understanding the OSHA's 1910 general industry standards, which cover walking, working surfaces. And I'll talk later, but there are many other OSHA standards that address slips, trips and falls already. So those are some of the main things we can do to prevent falls. We can uh, elaborate later on when we get there. Okay. Well, you mentioned that 
falls happen when the center of gravity is unsupported? How do we prevent your center of gravity being unsupported? That's a good question. You need to do some advanced work. Find out your equipment needs ahead of time. I mean, think about uh, material handling, uh, depending on what you're lifting, the size of the complexity of it, how far do you have to move it? So uh-huh. once you kind of have an idea of the equipment needs ahead of time, kind of, it's called preparation, right? Yeah. Then we think about it. We need to follow safety warnings on the equipment. If we're using any specific specific equipment, manufacturers put warnings on there, or again, you know, lift heavy side down, lift from this end, things like that. And then basic lifting principles come up to play. Keep your center of gravity supported. What does that mean? It means keep your arms and legs as close to your center of gravity as possible. The principles of center of gravity isn't much different than that of the stability triangle of a forklift. That involves the center of gravity of the machinery. Same thing with the mm-hmm. crane, center of gravity. The same thing with us. And again, relate this to when each one of us takes something up, Hoping we're doing it the right way. We're bending at the knees, you know, lifting with the legs. But again, you visualize that center of gravity. So you've got the materials right at your body's center of gravity. So number one, that keeps you stable. And number two, it prevents the potential for strains and sprains from reaching and, you know, lifting bulky odd loads. But those are the basics of understanding uh, the position for center of gravity there. So move the ladder if you've got to reach. Move the ladder if you've got to reach. When we talk about ladders, uh, you want to talk a little bit about ladders right now? Yes, actually, yes. And your 1-4 rule. When we start looking at the different tools or pieces of equipment we use sometimes in the many different industries, ladders is one of those things. And we use them at home as well, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some OSHA rules and some basic common sense. And as I'm talking OSHA rules, I want to kind of explain many times when there is an OSHA standard put into place, OSHA doesn't make up some of the rules on their own. Sometimes they incorporate consensus standards, proprietary standards, and manufacturer's uh-huh. guidelines. So the age-old question of what is the proper angle of an extension ladder comes from the manufacturer. And that is a four-to-one height-to-base ratio. Basically, it means the ladder needs to be placed one foot from its support for every four feet of ladder height. And that, if you do that and look at that, that creates a safe angle, uh-huh. safe for us to work, Meaning, visualizing this, if the ladder's at more than a four to one, it's going to create a greater angle where if you're working on, if the ladder wasn't secured at the feet end, the ladder could slip out, causing you to fall. Versus the opposite, if it's too steep, not at a one to four, say it's at a one to two or one to three rule, uh-huh. that's going to cause you, again, because of gravity, you're going to, you know, your weight towards the top of the ladder is going to pull you and the ladder backwards. So that's the four to one or one to four rule on a ladder setup. Yeah, I think a lot of the ladders now too have that safety already kind of in place where if you go to lock it out, it is locked out to that triangle you were talking about with the one to four. Absolutely. Especially then you start looking at the different types of ladders out there, the A-framers, step Mm -hmm. ladders. They do have the braces, the brackets. And again, they're designed again by the manufacturers to work that way, but they only work that way, Heather if we use them the way they're intended to be used. Oh, now you're getting picky. Yes. You know, <laughs> I have to, 
Because, <laughs> you know, again, remember, Heather, we're humans. We like to do what we feel like is right, no matter what, sometimes, right? Yeah, you know, and it's just a second. Right. Just it only takes it a second. There. That's the age-old question. It only takes a second. Okay, so what about some other services? Uh, well, let's think about this. Um, have you ever seen somebody stand on a chair or table or chairs with wheels to reach something only for a second? Uh, yes, and... Uh, I have a little antidote for you. My kids don't believe things unless there's like a law or a rule. <laughs> I, I know they're, they're kind of unique that way, right? Um, but I kind of came up with a subset of OSHA that I call Momsha. <laughs> So if OSHA says you can't stand on chairs and tables with wheels, Momsha says you can't stand on chairs and tables with wheels and a broom handle to put it in the ceiling fan. That's the rule. <laughs> that's, that's a great policy. Now, let me just say something. You're, that's funny that that is your policy. When I teach at the OSHA Training Institute, in which I'm talking the, the main one in, in Arlington Heights, Illinois, uh -huh. I preach the same thing. I tell instructors, Here's the saying, very similar to mom shot. And it goes like this. You better follow mom before dad comes home. And, <laughs> and what does that mean? The acronym mom stands for you better follow the manufacturer's owner's manual, meaning mom. Uh -huh. Dad OSHA shows up. And that's the reality in the workplace. Manufacturers rules will often supersede OSHA standards. So just like mom will often supersede dad in the home. So yes, adults, you better listen to mom or mom shop before dad or OSHA shows up. That's a great philosophy. It's funny you, you live by that. Yeah, I. it's just because, you know, they're kids and I have a couple of young boys and a daughter and all of them are all for standing on the furniture or jumping off the tables and ah, when they were younger, they're not doing that one so much now that they're in their teenage years, but well, that's good. That's good. Well, who are you kidding? We got other hazards. We talk about uh, not standing on furniture. It's not intended for standing on uh -huh. sliding down banisters, right? Oh, so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no, it's not so much sliding down. It's, we just want to sit on the banister. You know, I, I was doing an inspection two weeks ago at a car dealership of all places. And as I pull up, I see a car salesman sitting on one of the banisters of a guardrail that's, you know, almost four feet high, concrete below him, texting on his phone because he's waiting for a customer on a break. And again, as a liability and an injury concern, you know, you're sitting on this, you know, three inch diameter railing with your feet up on the mid rail. And if you slip off of that, you're going to hit your head on the concrete because you're sitting on a banister and it just drives me crazy. Got it. I'll make sure I never do that again <laughs> around you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, again. There you go. Mom, mom shot. Remember mom shot. That mom shot. Mom shot. <laughs> Okay, how about that wobbly furniture? Again, one of the major things is training employees. If you see something defective or broken, remove it from service, repair it, replace it, plain and simple. I always talk in my training classes, if you see something, say something. Uh -huh. You don't want to be that person where you saw something, you ignored it. I, I was in a hurry. Uh, I'm on with the golf course. I didn't address it. I don't want to address it. I don't care. And then the next day you're reading the paper or seeing the news. Boom. There was a fatality because you didn't say anything. I'm not saying it's your fault, but you see something, say something. Repair, fix, clean it up yourself. Take the necessary action because it could prevent 
an injury or a fatality. You know, I did come by a chair one time that instead of being thrown out, they just put safety tape caution tape all around it because they didn't want people to sit on it. Did you find that effective in your opinion? I was like, so what's going on here? Are we playing a game or, well, we just haven't thrown it out. I'm like, okay, the dumpster's right there. <laughs> you know? yeah. No, and, and that's that's a true binding. You know, when we start reading and interpreting OSHA standards, and many, depends on what the hazard is, but OSHA has rules and standards that talk about things like tagging out of service defective tools and equipment removing from service, repairing, replacement, re- replacing, locking out and tagging out. So there's different options out there, but a competent person has to decide what is the right option for that hazard. So in some cases, just putting danger tape or caution tape around a defective chair or area isn't foolproof. So again, mm-hmm. you know, may not work. Uh, in some cases, but you know, it just depends on the person and the hazard. Yeah. It was when I got offered that chair to sit in that I was like, why do you hate me? (laughs) 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 All right. So if I want to look these standards up, I want to do it right. I want to figure it out, make the place safer. Where would I look? That's a great question. So let's kind of talk about OSHA standards. I'm going to try to simplify it after I complicate it. How's that sound? Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So let's break it down into for this podcast, two industries. Let's talk about what we call general industry, which uh-huh. is every industry. And then let's talk about the construction industry. Okay. So when we talk about general industry standards, the OSHA standards for slips, trips, and falls is found in 29 CFR 1910. Okay. The CFR stands for Code of Federal Regulations. 1910 is the part the section set aside for labor. So in the 1910 standard subpart D is designated for the rules and requirements and standards for all of walking, working surfaces related to general industry. That's going to include pretty much every industry, but construction. It's going to have your general rules about slips, trips, and falls, and ladders, and railings, and guardrails, and a little bit on scaffolding, and things like that related to general industry. So I want you to understand when we say the 1910 standard and we say general industry, we're going to call those horizontal standards. Just visualize and draw a line horizontally, uh-huh. meaning general industry standards apply to every industry unless there is a specific vertical standard for that industry. Now, that's, okay. that's where we bring in the 1926 construction standards. CFR 1926 cover construction. So many of our sections in the construction book are what we call vertical standards. They are specific rules for a specific industry. So in the 1926 standards, subpart M is the specific set of OSHA rules for fall protection. That's just general fall protection for construction. And then we have... In the same 1926 subpart L, actually, are the rules specific to scaffolds. Subpart R are the rules specific to falls related from steel erection. Subpart X covers stairways and ladders. So you can see we have many different OSHA standards and subparts within those standards that cover the many different types of what we call horizontal or vertical standards for the industries. So basically someone has hurt themselves or been dumb at least once. And so now we have the rules. That is the age old answer. Yeah. Usually there's a rule in place because somebody did something wrong. Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. I can get that. So far, we really haven't talked about 
the fall protection where you're wearing the specific harnesses or things like that. When when does that kick in? There's some magic numbers we preach when we teach slip strips and falls. Magic okay. numbers meaning going across all the industries. Okay, so we can say at zero feet, if you're above any kind of dangerous machinery in all industries, uh-huh. if you can fall, you know, three inches into moving equipment, some kind of fall protection is required to prevent you from falling and getting injured. So technically, we can say in some cases, fall protection is required at zero feet if you're exposed to machinery. Uh-huh. Then we go up in increments. So four feet is the magic number. Four feet is the trigger height for general industry. Anytime in general industry workplaces, if you're exposed to a fall of four feet or more, fall protection is required. Six feet is the trigger height for construction. Okay. Ten feet is what we call the trigger height for fall protection that's needed or required on scaffolding in both general industry and construction. And then we go a range of 15 to 30 feet, which is explained in subpart R of the construction standards that applies to steel erection. It's 15 feet to 30 feet, depending on if the okay. are connecting or decking. And then we have a 25 foot rule for elevated workplaces and construction, such as bridge construction. So we have six different numbers, if you would, that we would call them trigger heights to look for in in all industries there. Okay. So what is the difference then between a floor hole and a floor opening? That's a great question again. And the starting point to answer some of those questions is, what is OSHA gonna define as a floor hole or a floor opening? If I ask a class Mm -hmm. at the beginning of a class, if I ask seven people each individually, how big is a hole? I'm going to get seven different answers. So we're going to talk about the definition of a floor hole for general industry. So the OSHA standard says a floor hole for general industry is an opening that measures less than 12 inches, but more than one inch in its least dimension in anything like floor, platform, pavement, or yard Uh through which materials could fall through, but not people. That is a hole. Okay. Then OSHA goes on to define for general industry, an opening measures 12 inches or more in its least dimension, which persons may fall through. And those could be things like your hatchways, your pits, your stairs, your ladder openings, your manholes. So again, we have to refer to the OSHA standards definitions of what those are. And they're going to be different in construction. In construction, OSHA says a hole is there a gap or a void two inches or more in its least dimension. So it's going to vary, but you see the difference so we can understand can individuals fall through it versus people or tools or material, right? I just recently took some of our salespeople and marketing people to a wastewater plant and there were openings there and it just gave me a little bit of heartburn (laughs) on the tour. I'm like, please, please don't go near that. You fall into an aeration tank, you're not coming out easily. Like be mindful of that. That's that's good. That's a good gut check. I'm glad you shared that because it shows obviously you have some training, some experience. You're able to recognize that potential hazard. Now imagine somebody not familiar with that work environment, just like you said, to get close to that hazard. If they fall in that, it's going to be nasty. Yeah. I have to say a lot of that heartburn, I think my middle child taught me. (laughs) He's one of those who wants to see the edge of the cliff kind of thing. Lean on the railing over the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yes. 
lots of heartburn. And my daughter did that too. <laughs> oh, that kept me up all night. So what protections do we put in place to prevent those kind of falls? Well, we have a few options of what we call mechanical protections. We have things like mm-hmm. standard railings, which again, if you look at OSHA's definition, that basically means a guardrail. Okay. There's railings on stairways that are called stair rails, and there's something else called handrails. So it's funny and it could be confusing for a person. You look in the OSHA standards and you have standard railing, stair railing, handrail, and there's actually three different things. So a standard railing, and we've seen them, there would be typically we would call guardrails, some kind of physical barrier built along the side or an edge, like the Grand Canyon, that prevents you from falling over the edge. There's a standard okay. railing. Stair railing, we've all seen when you're walking up and down stairways to multi-story buildings, and there's that open side of the stairway where that railing is, that's a stair railing. Okay. The hand railing example would be the railing that's attached to the wall on the stairs that allows you to grab the railing so you don't trip and fall. That would be Ah. Oh. So there's, again, like I, like I said, there are definitions for everything. I was wondering what the difference was between the stair and the hand. I was like, they look the same, but I didn't think of the connection point. So, okay, Absolutely, cool. Yes. Learned something new to discuss at the dinner table. <laughs> right. What'd you learn today at work, mom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They get tortured all the time. So what are the basic housekeeping requirements? Basic housekeeping between all those different OSHA standards that we talk about where you can find fall protection guidelines. Many of those also encompass housekeeping rules. If you sort of think about it, mm-hmm. what attributes sometimes to slips, trips, and falls, Heather? Cords. I always love those little speed bumps. People. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're right on track. You mentioned cords, speed bumps, and you mentioned it a minute ago, housekeeping, you know, workplace yeah. cleanliness. There are OSHA standards that talk about all aisles and passageways have to be kept free, clear, unobstructed. There's housekeeping rules to talk about all wet processes and spills and leaks have to be cleaned up to prevent slips, trips, and falls. There's housekeeping rules about trash cans overflowing, rags on floors. Basic housekeeping, keep the workplace clean, keep your floors clean. That's the golden rule in the beginning of preventing slips, trips, and falls. Is housekeeping. I'm just trying to think of aisles and stuff. When I think of aisles, though, I'm not always thinking inventory. I'm thinking like grocery store <laughs> yeah, with the wet floor sign. Clean up aisle seven. Yes, clean up aisle seven. And no, we weren't just in that aisle. So um... <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's what they always say. Yeah, yeah. Keeping those clear. But you think that's a great analogy. You think about aisles at Costco and grocery stores. They're typically clean free of debris every once in a while yeah that's why they stock the shelves at night because they're bringing out pallets that would block and obstruct a person's walkway that could cause a trip hazard so that's the mindset behind passageways and aisles now you also mentioned in your presentation floors and walls and i was like okay so what do we need to know about floors and walls (laughs) nice thank you for bringing that up Floors and walls. The bottom line with floors, if we remember from all those trigger heights to zero feet, four feet, six feet, ten feet. Yeah. So if there's any potential that somebody can fall to a lower level or fall through floor holes, they have to be protected. Mm-hmm. So floor holes, and there's again OSHA standard about floor holes. We can build guardrails around holes. We can build hole covers. And remember, we you asked earlier, what was the difference between a floor hole and an opening? 
The other definition of an opening is, and think about openings this way. You've seen, you, you drive around the valley in different states where you see homes under construction, right? And yeah. you see the framing walls with two by fours, correct? Yeah. And if you look at that spacing between the two by fours, they look like openings. They're, they're, they're openings in a sense. But when you look at OSHA's definition of, of an opening, it's an opening that measures 30 or more inches high off the ground, 18 or more inches wide meaning wide enough that we can fall through. So in the analogy, when we're visualizing a residential home under construction and we see the the wood framing, those are actually spaced at 16 inches on center, which is less than 18 inches wide. So according to the OSHA standard, those gaps or openings would not be considered a wall opening. But when I talked about earlier in the presentation was because we're talking about slip strips and falls, We don't only want to focus on falling through holes. We have to pay attention to different openings. Openings are on an elevator shaft, around pits. And that's the hazard we're talking about with openings. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And that explains why when we did the bathroom remodel, why the the framing was all in the place it was. Okay. Very good. See, another thing to share. (laughs) When we were talking about the fall protection, that, that magic number six feet or more, what else should we know? So I want to take away today to be four feet and six feet okay remember four, okay. four feet is the trigger height for general industry and remember the the horizontal standard applies to every industry unless there's a more vertical standard so four feet covers almost every industry or for general industry and then six feet for construction so we want you taking away leaving here knowing regardless of height Employees must be protected from falling from open-sided floors and walkways and platforms, runways, above uh, dangerous equipment, off loading docks. We want people understanding if it's more than four feet, I need to be protected. And then obviously six is more than four. So start with four feet and go from there. Always wanting to be protected. Okay. okay? Sounds good. I probably don't stand towards the edge anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I have a thing against heights, so... I'm I'm willing to stand back. Let somebody else have the front view. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'll grab you. There you go. <laughs> you know? you're, you're the anchorage point. There you go. <laughs> and you know, one last thing that you had on your presentation that I want to cover is stairways. Like I didn't even think about there being all this stuff about stairways as well. Oh, absolutely. So again, since we've talked about slips, trips, and falls, and we've talked about the many different industries. OSHA covers stairways in both the general industry 1910 standards, and they have its own vertical standard or specific rules, if you would, in the construction 1926. Subpart X is designed just for ladder rules and stairway rules for construction, for instance. So in both standards, talks about rules, examples. Uh, You've seen perhaps in workplaces, in general industry, or even at construction sites when you see the little storage trailers that have those little metal stairways going up you've seen those mm-hmm. yeah so yeah ironically there's osha standards that say stairs that have four or more risers a risers the fancy word for step so stairs that have okay. four or more risers must have a standard stair railing or handrails on one or both sides. So again, because we can fall off of a stairway that's unprotected, there are rules that talk about the open side of stairways, as we mentioned earlier, need to have guardrails. Uh, There are Mm -hmm. rules about fixed stairs. 
fixed stairs in buildings. Uh, there's rules about, you've seen sometimes uh, commercial buildings and multi-residential, multi-family apartments, they have the metal pan stairs that are filled in with concrete. Yeah. Uh, there, there's yeah. even rules about during that construction, nobody can use those stairs until they're filled in with concrete. There's rules on ladders and stuff. So stairways have guidelines to prevent slipping and tripping and falling both during construction of stairs and during use of stairs, hence the railings and standard railings and guard railings. I'm like, holy cow. This <laughs> <laughs> is what we get when we do our classes is, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I always wondered though, but yeah. Okay. We've covered so much. I mean, these are typically classes you teach for like a day or two, correct? The classes, depending on you know what a company wants. Uh, we talked earlier about statistics. We talked about 20% of slip, trip, and fall injuries are attributed to workers' compensation claims. So when we look at OSHA standards and training requirements, yeah, we do classes on you know, half-day classes, one-day classes, three-day fall protection classes for all different industries to meet the training requirements, to heighten employees' awareness, with the bottom line being to have zero injuries and accidents you know, involving slips, trips, and falls, Heather. And we just crammed that all in about 45 minutes. So, you know, everyone should get it right that way. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> even with what we talk about, you know, people should recognize hazards perhaps they were not aware of and can uh-huh. change their thinking, look up when they're walking and not on their cell phones, texting, uh, things like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's great. And like I said, you know, we've covered so much, but there's so much more. And I didn't know if you had any lessons learned that you wanted to share with us before we move on to the tidbit. There, there is so much more we can talk about. I, I guess the lessons learned is, you know, I want to close with just remember it could happen to you and I. We talked about it only takes a second. We don't want anybody thinking that it can only take a second. Right. So if you see a hazard, yeah. if you see something, say something. Lessons learned kind of recap. And we kind of introduced what is a slip? What is a trip? What is the difference in a fall? We talked about the different types of hazards. But more importantly, we talked about what can you do to recognize a hazard and to avoid a hazard. So I kind of close with that. I guess I'll close with a story. I was doing a job site inspection okay. a few years back. It was a, it was an apartment complex a construction job. And I'm out there on, on a Monday and I see a eight foot long wooden job made ladder. And, and not to get too elaborate, you can build a wooden ladder if it meets the ANSI standard requirements, but this didn't do that. So my first okay. mistake was I asked an employee if they can take that ladder and throw it in the dumpster. And they did. But that was my first mistake because on day two, when I showed up, what do you think I found on the job site, Heather? Oh, no. Was it there yeah, again? The same. Somebody went into the dumpster and took out the same ladder. So this time, my second mistake was I asked somebody to cut that ladder in half and throw it in the dumpster. And why was that my second mistake? Because later in the week when I went back, I saw two four-foot defective wooden ladders in service. So finally, yeah, again, humans do anything, right? So finally, that last day I asked, can I borrow your saw? And I saw those ladders in half perpendicular and then through the remaining pieces in the dumpster. So we just have to think about when we see something and you kind of hit this in class, tag it out of service, do it so it's effective. The point was when I asked the employee to throw the ladder out, 
We didn't destroy it, so nothing was stopping that ladder from being placed back in service. So, again, thankfully, I was there three days in a row, so I was able to get rid of that ladder. Nobody got hurt from it. So if you see something, say something, okay? Got it. Got it. And for our listeners, I mean, if you have more questions, please feel free to contact Joe directly. His contact information will be in the show notes because there's a whole lot more than what we covered today. (laughs) Okay, so with that, I want to transition to Wanda's Water Tidbit. And this is a part of the show that dedicated to my mother, Wanda. She and actually quite a few friends now send me bits of trivia about water. And this is part of the podcast where we celebrate it. Sometimes it's unusual and sometimes it's really brilliant. Today, we're going to kind of go more towards the brilliant side of it. It's a technology that students from Monash University, Department of Chemical Engineering, have developed. They were looking for something that was sustainable, water treatment, something that could be used in areas where they don't have good water treatment, you know, basic treatment. They developed something that was standalone technology, and it's called Standalone Sunflower System, or SASS. To me, when I look at it, it looked like a small-scale serpentine chlorine contact chamber, or you know, kind of like a maze where it just goes back and forth, back and forth. But instead of those concrete walls, it has plastic-like tubing. And I showed you the picture of that. Do you think that's a good description there, Joe? Or Oh, that's a great description. I think this design is amazing. Uh, let's just kind of talk more about it. But yeah, that, if you can visualize it the way you described it, I'm, I'm visualizing it. So yes. Okay. I don't want to be like later on, they look at the picture and be like, oh my gosh, she has no idea what she's talking about. But what's really cool is that they use a catalyst that's uh, based off of zinc oxide and a cellulose nanofiber composite. And they chose cellulose because it was easily obtainable. But what they do with the catalyst is that it reacts with sunshine to power the photocatalytic degradation reaction. And they did test different levels of UV and sunlight. They actually found that sunlight performed better. So they focused in on those wavelengths with the UV LED lights in their system. They basically capitalized on both of them. Better yet, the whole thing is powered by solar power. So they're avoiding energy intensive power sources. It's kind of green and it's pretty clever little system, I think. I look at it, I'm like, I didn't do that in my senior exam (laughs) or senior (laughs) test. Right, for sure. (laughs) They tested it against a as it says, I'm going to read this directly, variety of organic pollutants such as perm-polyfluoral substances, better known as PFAS, dioxin solvents, industrial dyes, and real wastewater samples until degradation to below health and environmental advised levels were achieved. That is pretty dang cool. What's cool is when you get to see the video of the actual degradation happening from, as you know, the blue liquid to the levels that were achieved to be in the health environmental. I'm just like, that's cool because I'm used to, you know, being in the industry so long, we have all the big equipment, you know, big UV lights, we've got, you know, XYZ. And here they've come up with, mind you, it's more of on the prototype phase, but a lot simpler system that does a lot of the same stuff. That's not too shabby at all. Not too shabby. And like you said, it's green material and that's at some point or another could be sustainable. Yeah. I get excited when I see like technologies like that. And like I said, that that that's a pretty substantial project and uh, not one that I worked on in my senior project. But <laughs> <laughs> 
I did wastewater modeling. <laughs> but Joe, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking about slips, trips, and falls. It's been a delight to have you. Oh, I appreciate you having me again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and look forward to meeting up again sometime. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And for our listeners, if you have questions, please feel free to contact Joe directly. His contact information will be in the show notes. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad-spectrum line of biostimulant nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. Find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com.